This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by RevTown. Talked about on the website and when we've had podcast guests about style, every man should have a pair of dark denim jeans in your wardrobe. It's a pretty versatile piece of clothing. You can dress it up with a sport coat and white dress shirt. It's going to look great. Or you can dress it down with a t-shirt and a pair of sneakers. And RevTown is the home of premium jeans at a revolutionary price. We're talking Italian milled denim infused with the perfect amount of four-way stretch. The stretch is unbelievable. You can do barbell squats and these things. It's super comfortable. Head to RevTownUSA.com slash AOM and you have a chance to win a total wardrobe up Upgrade with two RevTown jeans and three RevTown tees. Again, just visit RevTownUSA.com slash AOM and grab a pair of premium performance jeans today. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Does your family life feel frantic? Does it seem like every week you and your wife are scrambling to manage all the stuff that's going on, like school and community activities, extracurriculars, social engagements, home maintenance? Perhaps what you need to do is apply some of the strategies that help businesses get organized to your family life. That's the argument my guest makes in his book, The Three Big Questions for a Frantic Family. His name is Patrick Lencioni. He's a business consultant for Fortune 500 companies. Today on the show, we discuss how the questions he asks his corporate clients to provide clarity and direction to their businesses can also provide clarity and direction at home. Pat unpacks his three questions and explores how vital it is to create a sense of context, mission, and purpose for your family, why every family needs a rallying cry, and how to actually implement the principles we discuss in your family's life. You want to start leading your family in living intentionally instead of staying in reactive mode? This show is for you. After it's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash frantic families. And Pat joins me now via clearcast.io. Well, Pat Lanchoni, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. So you wrote a book about three questions that can help frantic families, but you're not a psychologist, you're not a family counselor, you're actually a CEO guy or consultant. So tell us about your background, because it's really interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I'm just, I didn't go to grad school or anything. My parents didn't go to college. I just went to college, first generation, and then uh, got a great job out of college that was supposed to be a great job at, at a management consulting firm. And it wasn't for me. And I was really more focused on the human side of business. So through uh, various blessings I had, I was able to get into this field. And then about 21 years ago, I started my own company and wrote my first book, which was a total accident. I just came up with a theory and somebody said, you should write a book about it. So I wrote a fable because I was a screenwriter in a previous life for fun. And people liked that. And then it took off and I started writing more and more. And now I'm considered something of a thought leader in the field of organizational health, leadership, teamwork, and all things related to uh, to business or organizations. So that's kind of my story, if you will. Right. And so companies hire you to you know come in, look at how they're running the, the ship, basically, and you offer suggestions on how they can improve. So what was that's the right. moment what was the moment when you realized that you thought the same principles you use with companies could also work to help improve families run better? Well, you know, so we have four kids, four boys, and my wife and I, like so many, it was a pretty frantic life. Two of our boys are in college now. It's no less frantic because we're very involved with them still. But um, I was going out and working with great companies like Southwest Airlines and Chick-fil-A and all these other businesses and helping them make their businesses more sane, more intentional. And then I'd go home 
and life was very reactive and it was, it was crazy, you know? And I said to my wife one day, not in a rude way, but it sounds pretty rude. I said, you know, if my clients ran their companies the way we do this family, they'd go out of business. <laughs> and I thought, and it was really an indictment of myself. I tell, I like to tell the story like, like my wife got really mad at me, but the point was here, I would go to offsite meetings with my team at my office, my company, and I'd help my clients do that. We'd get very intentional about what our values were and our strategy and how we're going to execute. And we'd have a, a, a rhythm for that. And, and we go home and whatever comes up that day, we just respond to it. And, and I just thought, why is this? My family is more important than my business, no doubt. So why do I spend so much more time managing my business and my family. And when I really thought about it, Brett, I think what it came down to is because there's not unconditional love in companies. You can get fired if you do a bad job or your customers can leave. But at home, we tend to take it for granted, unconditional love. Like, well, my kids are going to love me even if I'm not very intentional. And my wife, you know, what are we going to do? This is just how we are. And so sometimes we take advantage of what we believe to be unconditional love and we don't do our very best at home. So the the book is, you know, three questions that helps frantic families. So, you know, I imagine as you talk to people you coach, CEOs you coach, I'm sure they've mentioned their family life. And, and I've noticed this too with my own interactions with friends, like everyone just feels so frantic and like they're flailing yeah. around. It's like, what do you think is going on there? Like what, why, what makes life for family life so much more, I mean, I don't know, was it like this in the fifties and forties? I mean, or is it, I mean, is this something new or different? No, I think it was different. I'm sure there was some franticness, but back then, we were just talking about this here in the office, that back then, parents were not near as involved in their kids' lives. And you kind of sent them out there and said, if I put a roof over their heads and, you know, love them, but they're going to make it on their own. Half of them went into the military and they, life was harder. And today, you know, I don't know what it is about our generation, but, you know, dads and moms alike are totally involved at home, often both working. And yet they're driving their kids to every underwater travel across team. I mean, it's crazy how many activities we think we have to get our kids involved in. And yours are younger than mine. Let me just tell you, you don't have to have them involved in all those things. The first, I have twins that are now 20. And when we grew up in a very suburban area where everybody participates in everything, everybody would say, well, you know, you have to sign them up for that. Because if you don't sign them up when they're five, they're never going to get involved in it when they're 17. And then they're never going to go to college and they're never going to have a normal life. And so we would, gosh, it was nuts. And that was kind of the prevailing wisdom. And so here we are overcommitted, under enjoying it. It's making our kids too stressed out. It's making us stressed out. And this is not the way we're meant to live. And so I just realized, boy, we should start being more intentional and, and start taking care of our families in a way that we take care of our businesses. And it's not just- Does that make sense no, to you, Brad? That makes sense. And it's not just kids getting overcommitted. It's like parents getting overcommitted with like mm -hmm. church organizations, community organizations. I mean, just having friends and a social life, that adds to it as well. Oh my gosh. And every day it was basically, what did somebody email us about and what do we have to respond to and what decisions do we have to make today? And every one of them felt like a gut-wrenching crapshoot rather than- an intentional, calm, peaceful decision with some sort of rationale. Okay, let's start talking about solutions. And so the, the overarching solution you say is families need to provide context for themselves. What do you mean by providing context for a family? Well, it's the same as in business. In fact, my company is called the table group because we believe the table is the best piece of technology that exists. Well, we almost called it the context group because Without context, it's really difficult to make decisions and be intentional. So in context, 
It's just really answering some questions to give yourself clarity so that when you have to make decisions and live your life, you have something to look at and say, well, what makes sense here? So for instance, we, one of the things we say is when I work with a company, one of the first things we do is we say, you know, what do you believe to be true in terms of your behaviors? Every great company, Southwest Airlines, we help them. They, they, they were great at it, but we help them codify their values. Like what are the behaviors, the three behaviors that need to be true here for a person to fit in and, and be successful? I thought, well, why don't families figure out what their values are? Everybody talks about family values. And then you say, what are those? And they go, I don't know, they're family values. So what I realized is that a husband and wife need to sit down and say, you know, what is it that we believe to be so true in our family that we want to teach it and, and reinforce it in everything we do? And, and, and it probably is different from one family to another. Y- your brother and sister-in-law, though might be very wonderful people and close to you, are going to have different ones. And the family next door or the one that sits in the pew next to you at church, they're not necessarily going to be the same. So my wife and I sat down and we said, what is it that we were attracted to each other about? What was it about one another that we love that we have in common? And let's build our family around that. And so we did, you know, one of the things I loved about my wife when I met her in college is that she would stand up for what was right, regardless of the politically correct ramifications. She was courageous enough to say, this is how I feel. And she said, that's what she loved about me. So we said, okay, let's make that one of the pillars of our family, standing up for what's right, regardless of the ramifications. She was very creative. I was creative. Our families weren't necessarily creative, but we both loved that. We said, let's teach our kids to be creative. Let's build our family around that. And then we said, forgiveness is really important because we both, we get in arguments sometimes and we have to recover. We said, forgiveness. Those became our three values. We said, that's what makes us unique. Some of my favorite people in the world, Brett, and I'm sure you and your wife, would come up with three different ones. And the point is, do you know who you are? And do you know what it means to be a Lynchoni in my family? And so having that kind of clarity just kind of helps us to say, this is what makes us unique. Yeah. So that first question in providing context is what makes us unique? It's figuring out your core values. But I thought this is an interesting distinction you talk about in the book as it, cause as you're consulting companies, companies, you know, the whole thing coming up with a mission statement, coming up with values, it's become so cliche now. And oftentimes you'll see right. companies come up with these things like we believe in doing good and being honest and like leaving, <laughs> making as much money as possible and saving a, the environment. Right. And so like those are <laughs> values, but they're not actually core values. So when people typically come up with core values or whether it's a business or a family, what are they actually doing typically? And it's actually wrong. Well, first of all, they're try- when, when we come up with values, and I wrote this in, for corporations too, there's different kinds of values. Like There's aspirational values. Those are ones that you don't have and you wish you did, and you're going to try to work on that. Well, don't call that a core value. That would be like my wife and I saying, neither of us are very organized. We're the same Myers-Briggs type pretty much, and we're kind of spontaneous, which is nuts, but that's who we are. If we said one of our core values is being organized, anyone that knew us would think we were fools or liars. And so you got to know what's not true. Even if you wish it were true, you don't build your company or your family around that. The second one is there's permission to play, which are those very obvious ones. Like we're not murderers. <laughs> you know, it's like be nice. Well, that doesn't make a core value because it's usually pretty generic. And then there's some values that you don't want to build around because they're, they're weaknesses and you got to guard against that. Core values are the things that are so endemically true and good and that you want to be that you double down on those and you say, let's never violate those. 
because that's who we are. It's like an example, Southwest Airlines. I was just talking to somebody from there today. They're friends of ours. One of their core values is having a self-deprecating sense of humor, right? That's what they talk about. Anybody that's ever flown Southwest knows that. Well, once a woman complained about the humor on the airline because they were making jokes during the safety check, well, the, the CEO at the time, Herb Kelher, the founder, he wrote her a letter that said, we'll miss you. Instead of saying, oh, we're sorry, it's like, hey, that's one of our three core values. We're not going to change that. In my family, when one of my sons was really little, he got in trouble because he stood up for a friend at school to a bully. And of course, like they do in so many schools, they brought both the bully and my son in who stood up to him and told them both they were wrong. And we absolutely reinforced our son. We said, you did the right thing. Really, the principal was was rewarding you. And we think what you did was fantastic. Because standing up for what's right is one of our core values. We will never sacrifice that. So if you don't know what your core values are, you don't know how to protect them and to reinforce them. And most people think they don't really know what they are. Or they have a list of 12 things, which are a mishmash of nice things, easy things, wishful thinking, bad things. And they just throw them together and call it values. That was a long answer to a short question. No, no, no. It was really clarifying. But so like how... Can people, when they're you know, sitting down and trying to answer this question with their wife, how can they ensure that they're, this is actually core value? They have to ask themselves, like, do we actually live this today? Is that what the... Yes. Okay. That's a great question. Here's the beauty of this book and this, this, this concept. And by the way, let me tell you something. This book called The Three Big Questions for a Frantic Family, I've written 11 books. Almost all of them are about business. This is the first one, which is really a business book for families. It's sold by far the least of all of them. And yet, everywhere I go, people will come up and go, we have transformed our family. And it's very embarrassing for me as an author because they're using it more than I am. And they say, we, I think this book has gone deeper for more people than anything I've ever written. And it sold a fraction of the other. So, so it's one of those books that I think is really great, but people generally don't go out and buy books to change their families. They kind of wing it, which is part of the problem. So getting back to what you asked me, you don't need to spend three days at an offsite in the woods to figure this out. You can go on a single date Let's say you have 90 minutes to sit down. That's a long date, I realize. And you sit down and you just say, hey, you know, what is it about one another that we admire and that we want to be true in our family forever? And we want to raise our kids, reinforce it, live it, and we never want to make decisions that violate that. So like I said, my wife and I just said, well, what was it that I liked about you? And what is, and I would told her things about her that I loved. And she goes, well, that's exactly what I loved about you. And I said, that's it. That's one of the things that we have in common and that we admire each other around. So there's people in my office that one of their core values is humor. And I happen to know the woman and her husband, and they're hilarious. And that humor is a huge part of their life. They value it. Now, when they came up with that one, I thought, well, gee, I should be humorous too. That should be one of ours. It's like, no, no, that doesn't mean we don't like humor, but that is a founding principle in their family. It's how they interact with one another. Another one was generosity. They're really generous. And I thought, well, shoot, that should be one of ours. Well, it doesn't mean I'm not going to try to be generous, but it's not necessarily the, the, the foundation of who I am. I mean, I, I've read your bio, Brett, and you and your wife could sit down and it would not take you long and it would be pretty clear. You'd go, oh yeah, it's these things. Because you'd look at not only what you believe, but how you act. And it's not hard to, you know, in 20 minutes on that date, that hour and a half date can come up with all of these questions answered. Now, of course, after you answer them, two weeks later, your wife's going to come to you and say, hey, wait a second. You know, some, I thought of another one. I think this is it. And you're, gonna, you're not going to go, well, we already laminated it and made t-shirts because you're not going to do that anyway. You're going to go, hey, you're right. And so you're going to add that one or change it. 
So it's a process, but it doesn't need to take days and flip charts. And it's really going on a date and asking a few basic questions of one another about what you love. So besides figuring out your core values to figure out what makes your family unique, start providing that context, because these values are going to start determining or start helping you guide your decisions. You also talk about strategy. So how can a family, well, first of all, what do you mean by a family strategy and how can that make them unique? Yeah. And that, and that's the whole thing. The strategy is one of those words like communication or love that everybody defines differently and nobody really knows what it means. When we talk about strategy, both in our company and in, in regard to families, what we mean is what are the intentional decisions you've made as a family that will differentiate you from others and give you the best chance to be successful or live the life you want to live? And you have to look at, at your life. And so my wife and I said, well, what are our, what are the strategic things that we've decided that make us who we are. And we looked at it, we said, well, one is my wife stays home. Okay. Now she actually runs a Bible study now, which is fantastic. And she's very involved in other things and in the kids' lives, but she did, she left her job and, and postponed her career because she wanted to be a mom. And, and, and that's her, that's a strategic decision we make. She didn't do it regretfully. She didn't do it just because every day she wakes up and doesn't do it. She said, I am going to do that. And therefore, Pat, you are going to be the primary breadwinner. I'm going to be with the kids. And that was a core strategic decision we made. Another one was our lives are going to revolve around our family and our children, not our career. So even though I've been, I've been blessed to be successful, I don't, I don't travel abroad hardly ever. I travel only for like one or two nights at a time at most. I've coached my kids' teams. We're, we're very, very invested in our kids' lives. That's a strategic decision we made. Another one is that we chose to live away from our families. I don't, neither of us live in the same city as our families. We didn't choose that necessarily on purpose, but we realized it was the right thing to do where we live. So we said our extended family is going to have to be a group of friends and people we know that aren't part of our clear family. And like Thanksgiving this year was with the same family we always do it with. They're like the cousins to our children and the aunts and uncles, but they're not. So we had to create an extended family that wasn't part of our natural family. Now, we realize that those are intentional decisions we've made and we need to honor those. So when somebody says, hey, do you want your child to be on the travel underwater lacrosse team and travel to Europe? We look at it and we go, would that allow us to have a family where we were totally involved in their lives? Nope. We're not going to do that. And when somebody says, hey, do you want to buy a house in Lake Tahoe? We look at that and we go, well, it depends. Would that allow us to live according to our strategy or not? And, and it gives you peace so that when you make decisions, you don't feel like you're making it up from scratch. You look at your values, you look at your strategy, and you say, this is probably the right decision. And you move on. Right, because Right, because you've already made the decision, right? Exactly. And that's what businesses do. But, but usually when people go, do you want to be on the underwater lacrosse team? The parents look at each other and go, I don't know. Do we want them to be in lacrosse? Is that our goal for them in life? I don't know. What are the kids next door doing? I think our, cousin, our cousins are doing that. And, and does he want to? And are we going to regret it? And, and, and this is real angst people feel. And they end up making decisions that they look back on later and say, we didn't even live our lives intentionally. Things just happened. And that's not how we're meant to live. You know, intentional living is really a good thing. And so this, having the context allows you to be intentional and not reactive. 
We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Finding a dress shirt that fits is nearly impossible. Something is always off, be it the collar or the sleeves, or it's too tight or too blousy. Thankfully, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier with Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt that fits you, made to measure, by answering 10 simple questions, no tape measure required. Choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles, from classic to business to casual, to completely customize your shirt and get the style that you want. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world and only buy fabrics that meet their high quality expectations. So again, you can customize this however you want. And then you have to answer the 10 questions to get the shirt fit. Again, you don't have to use a tape measure to get through this. Just answer these questions and they guarantee a perfect fit. So if something isn't right, doesn't fit right with your shirt, they will remake it for free. The whole process is risk-free. This is the future of shirts. These shirts are made completely custom for you, starting at just $80. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash manliness today and enter gift code manliness to save $20 on your first shirt. Again, propercloth.com slash manliness, gift code manliness to save $20 on your first shirt. Also buy one fix. Most diets fail because they make you change way too many foods all at once. When you want to fix how you eat, you do the opposite. Make one change, do it slowly, and let it stick. With the One Fix app, a nutritionist will analyze all your meals. How do they do that? Well, you're going to take a picture of every single thing you put into your mouth. They're going to find one thing that's causing your body to store some extra fat and give you a fix. You'll do that one fix every day for one month, and because it's just one fix, it's easy. And when it becomes a part of who you are, you can begin the next fix. So if diabetes, heart disease run in your family, or you're trying to lose that extra 30 pounds, check out One Fix because diets can be a terrible way to lose weight. If you want to make it permanent, you have to do it one fix at a time. So head over to getonefix.com slash manliness and use code manliness to get $50 off your first month. That's getonefix.com slash manliness, code manliness to get $50 off your first month. Again, getonefix.com slash manliness, code manliness to get $50 off the first month. Once you download the app, a nutritionist will help you get started. Get one fix today. And now back to the show. No, we've, my wife and I have implemented strategies like that. We try to limit the amount of activities our kids get involved in. I don't travel or hardly do any speaking engagements. And see, there's people listening to this who are going to go, oh man, I should do that too. And it's like, well, first of all, be intentional about it. What what you don't want to do is say, because there's some great parents out there that go, no, I could travel a little bit, but I'm going to take lots of time off and I'm going to do it differently. What you don't want to do is let the world dictate this to you and feel like a victim of circumstance. Because there's a lot of people listening to this go- that said, I never really made a decision just as business got busier. I just started saying yes. And before I knew it, I was living a life that I hadn't really chosen. And so, again, it's about context and intentionality versus reactive, v- feeling like a victim of circumstance. All right. So your values, your strategy serves as a filter for yes. all the stuff that comes at you every day uh, in your family mm-hmm. life. The second question is what's our rallying rallying cry? So what do you mean by that? Okay, this is probably the most powerful part of this. And by the way, all of this you can come up with in one date. So the rallying cry goes like this, and we use it in companies too. What is the single most important thing that you need to focus on as a family right now? And, and let's say in a family for the next three months. For the next three months, it might be long, it might be six months, What is the biggest thing going on in our family that we have to get done right? Because the problem is there's a thousand things going on. But what is the biggest thing right now? Okay. Now, a few years ago, my sons were getting ready to go to college. And and it was all about, Laura and I said, okay, everything that we do has to be done in the spirit of how are we preparing our, our boys and our family to go away to school? So we had to think about, okay, that was our rallying cry. 
getting the twins, 50% of our children ready for college. That was, now, were there other things that were interesting? Absolutely. Other things I wanted to do? Yep. But I couldn't do those if I was doing it at the expense of this, because that was the number one thing. Years ago, Brett, and this is my favorite one, when we had three children, we had three boys, and my wife and I are disorganized, so we were pretty scattered. We found out we were pregnant. We weren't surprised. We knew how that happens. And we were very excited, very excited, obviously. But we were like, oh my gosh, we're already stressed. We're already overwhelmed. What are we going to do? We're going to have another child. And it's a boy. So we said, okay, we our rallying cry was prepare our family for baby number four. Okay. So that doesn't mean you should go out and put signs on the wall and make t-shirts like companies do. <laughs> Your rallying cry is the guide for everything else you do. So we said, if that's our rallying cry, prepare for baby number four, then you have to come up with what we call your strategic de- definitional objectives, okay? The objectives or the goals that determine whether or not that goal is going to happen. We call it in the business world, defining objectives. They define how we're going to get that done. So we said, if we're going to prepare our family for baby number four, what do we have to do? Well, the first thing we had to do is we had to get our seven-year-olds, that's where our 20-year-olds were at the time, we had to discipline them up because they weren't taking a shower without us pushing them in there, making their own lunch, getting their books together and their homework done without us goading them. And we said, when, when our fourth child, Michael, comes, if those boys are not more disciplined, we are not going to be able to do this. That was our first defining objective. Our second one was, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old, three-year-old, who's, who's not where he needs to be. He's, and so we were like, Casey, get out of our bed and get out of those diapers because life is over, as you know. <laughs> you know. We had to get him schooled up because if, if he wasn't more mature in those little areas, we weren't going to be able to handle it. Then we had to clean out our garage and because we had more stuff coming in. We had to outsource some activities in our family that my parents thought I was crazy because we should mow our own lawn, but we said we can't do that. And then we had to finish the kitchen remodel that we were in in the midst of that had been going on for 12 months that we were about to kill the contractor. And we said, if Michael comes and that's still going on, we are going to kill that contractor. So we had five defining objectives. If we're going to be ready for baby number four, we have to have the twins schooled up. We had to have Casey better disciplined. We had to have our garage cleaned out. We had to finish the contracting and we had to outsource some services. When my wife and I went to bed at night, Brett, we would think about those five things rather than the million little details that overwhelm us. So you come up with that defining objective, I mean, that thematic goal. What's the biggest thing going on in your family right now? And then you come up with what are the four or five things that we have to do to make that work? Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Below those defining objectives, there's these things called standard objectives, which are which are ongoing in a family. For instance, so my wife and I had to get ready for baby number four, but I also had to pay the mortgage. We had to keep our marriage strong. We had to keep our faith strong. We had to keep the kids healthy keep them doing well in school. So there's what we call standard objectives, which probably don't change for like 10 years at a time because they're kind of like, how do we keep the family in business, so to speak? There might be some other things that are pretty much always going on. The question is, what's particularly unique as you go into 2019, given what's going on in your family? And there's no right answer. It's just you have to have one answer. Let me give you an example. When we were getting ready for baby number four, I was determined to re-landscape our front yard and our backyard because we bought a new house. It was kind of crazy. It wasn't very kid-friendly. And we said, nope, we're not going to do it. 
That is not the most important thing we need to do right now. And so every day I would pull into the driveway and see that ugly front yard and I'd go, that ugliness is a testament to my discipline of focusing on what really matters. Because there's always three or four other things you want to do. And it's when you say no to those things, because there is a higher priority, you know you're living an intentional life. So the rallying cry is like that one thing that you can work on for the next three months that will really move your family ahead. Yes. It's going to move the ball forward and you will, you will do that at the expense of a bunch of other things that would be nice to do, but aren't as important. So like, you know, one rallying cry, I think there's an example you gave in the book. It's like dad finds a new job because his job is making him miserable and that's coming home and he, and we need to fix that. And, and, and you, you, depending on the age of your kids, I talked to somebody just yesterday, a guy came into my office, a CEO, and he goes, oh yeah, we're involving our kids now. His kids are 10, eight, and five. And they're like, oh, not the rally and cry. But they sit down with them and say, hey, here's the number one thing going on in our family. And it might be, daddy's looking for a new job. So here's how we're going to help him. He's going to have to take a little extra time. We're going to have to do more around the house while he's doing this. He's probably not going to be quite, he might have to miss a few ball games because he might have to go do some interviews. And you get the whole family rallied around that. And suddenly it's becomes like everybody's in it together and they understand why things are different. And, and it, you give dad a better chance without stress, mom a better chance. And it might be like, mom, mom's health isn't good or mom needs to find a hobby or whatever else it is. If everybody's focused on that, there's a much better chance than if you're siloed out and everybody's working on their own thing, which is exactly what happens in bad companies and too often in families. That Casey has his own thing. Connor has his own thing. Matthew has his own thing. Mom has her own thing. And everybody starts to pull apart. Okay. So I want to point out that one thing you said, because I thought it was important, was, okay, you have your rallying cry, these uh, objectives you're working on to achieve that rallying cry. But at the same time, there are those standard objectives, those things you have to do day to day to keep things going the way they are. You can't let those slack or else things are going to start falling apart. Exactly. And like if, and, and it's probably not that hard to come up with those at all, because in my family, it's pretty easy. It's like, how's our finances? How's our health? How's education? How's our faith life? How's our marriage? How's our relationship with our extended family? You know, those are, those are the things that probably never go away. The problem is when you live for those things on the bottom only, you kind of get burned out because you go, okay, what's next? Well, just more of the same, another school year, another checkup, another vacation, which are really, really, really important, but it's not necessarily moving the ball forward. You always have to ask, what's the thing that we're doing that's making our family even stronger so that next year will be a different family. I love that. So uh, here's a question. You, you've been talking about coming up with this stuff and it's been like you and your wife. Do you bring your kids in on this conversation trying to figure out the, the core values, the strategy, the rallying cry? Or is, like, is this like a CEO level job and like you just convey that to the members of your family? You know, honestly, the, 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 the socially acceptable or progressive answer would be, oh yeah, I've involved them. But the truth of the matter is you're leaders of your family as a parent and you need to set the thing. Now you can involve them in certain ways in terms of how to describe it or how to make it real. And it's a wonderful thing. Of course, it depends on how old they are. But so yes, involve them. But just like I would say to a CEO, when they say, well, we're going to do our values, we're going to take a survey of all the employees and ask them what they are. It's like, no, that's some of your employees don't know the right answer. You're a leader. And so you can solicit input, I suppose, but you need to set the direction. And frankly, most of our kids want us to do that. Now, if you were a family and you had a 17 year old and a 15 year old, I'd probably sit down and go, Hey, you guys, let's talk about what we think the most important thing is. But generally the parents set the tone and then involve them in how to implement it and, and get their buy-in. But, um, 
really the parent's job is to kind of create that that context. Okay. So the third question, but, but oh, it's great on. to have meetings with them. Well, yeah, um, let's and sit down with them. What? Well, oh, go that, ahead. Well, that's the next. That's the, that leads me nicely to the next question. This idea of meetings. So the, so the question is, how do you talk about and use the answer to these questions? Because it's one thing you do this thing with, on a date with your wife. We found out what makes us unique. We found out our rallying cry, and then you never talk about it again, and it just goes nowhere. Right. You know what we did the first time we came up with this is we were at a restaurant that had paper tablecloths and crayons, me and my wife. And so we, uh, we, we, we sketched it all out there and we just tore it off the thing and stuck it on the refrigerator and it would just sit up there and we'd walk by it in the morning and go, oh yeah, that's right. These things. So here's what a meeting looks like. So I want everybody out there to imagine a single sheet of paper, right? And on the top is a big square that says our, our rallying cry. In our case, it was like prepare for baby number four. Then underneath that, horizontally, there's five boxes. One says, you know, get the seven-year-old's dis- twins disciplined, get the three-and-a-half-year-old out of the bed and out of his diapers, you know, finish the kitchen remodel, outsource some of the services, and clean out the garage. Those are our five things. And then at the bottom, it says marriage, finances, health, education, all those things, faith. Okay, you have a single sheet of paper with these boxes on it. What you should do is once a week, you should just look at it for 15, 20 minutes and go, how are we doing in these areas? And you look at each one and you go, let's be green, yellow, or red. Green means, man, we're doing great. Yellow means, eh, we're doing okay. Red means, oh, we're, we're way behind. And if you're like me, I, I let people use lime if it's between yellow and green and orange between red and yellow. We actually involved our kids in this when they were 11 and 7 and 3, where we'd sit down at night sometimes and we'd go, okay, let's rate ourselves. And it was so cool because the kids would rate themselves in these areas and they'd usually be tough graders. So you go through and you go, how are we doing on the twins discipline? And Laura and I would look at each other and go, you know, they're still not getting ready in the morning pretty well. I, 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 it's pretty good. It's yellow or, or lime. Let's just put in lime. Okay. How about Casey? Nah, he keeps coming into bed with us, still in diapers. That's a red. How about the kitchen remodel? Okay. That guy, we think it's going to get done. We think that's what yellow. And you just go through this. It takes you five minutes. Then you look at it and you go, you know what we need to do this week? We need to turn the red things to yellow and the yellow things to green. Okay, that's it. Good. I'll see you next week. The difference between that conversation for 15 or 20 minutes once a week and what most of us do in our families is exponential. It's massive. If we Families say to me, oh my gosh, just having that scratched out piece of paper up on the on the refrigerator and looking at the red things and going, oh yeah, I got to do this this week. Oh yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. That's how I'm going to organize my day. Most of us wake up and go, what are we going to do? Well, I'll look at my email. I'll see what, what the kids are doing. Who's yelling the loudest for something. And at the end of the day, we go, did I really make a difference? And with just this much structure and I, this conversation, Brett might sound to people listening, like it's a lot of work, literally in the book, there's like a few pages where it says, go on a date and ask yourselves these questions. Do this and this and this. It provides examples of different families. And in 90 minutes, you can turn everything upside down and go, I think we have a handle on this. And then if you take 15 minutes a week to review it, honestly, it takes you from zero to eight in terms of intentional living. And that's all we really need is to be an eight. Yeah. And I imagine you know, husbands and families, like I bet wives appreciate when the husbands take the lead on this. I, I think a lot of wives, they want to do this sort of thing. They want intentionality in their family and they try to implement it, but like they feel like they're just dragging their husbands to it and maybe it'd be better. Yes, you're exactly right. And and it's, it's so I was in this very room I'm in right now in this conference room and I had a CEO and his, his executive team in here and we were talking and the whole concept came up of dating. 
And I said, yeah, you know, it's really frustrating to me because we see we're going to date, but then my wife never schedules it. And he says, no, it was this Brazilian guy. No, that is your job. You plan the date. You show her that it's important to you. And I realized it's true. And, and by the way, this is true whether the women in my office who work, I have a woman in my office whose husband stays home and, and helps with the kids and she works. But nonetheless, there's this thing about men and women the art of manliness. I love it where men tend to think, well, my wife sets a social calendar. Well, the problem with that is it it makes her feel like she's trying to coerce you into doing things that you don't really want to do. And when your husband, when the husband says, we're going to go out on a date, I've planned it. Don't worry about it, honey. We're going to do this. It's pretty cool. And, um, and no matter, even though I'm saying that to you right now, I still whiff at it most of the time, but it's the right thing to do. I've got to, I've got to say, we're doing this. And, and having this conversation my wife loved doing it. She said to me, and now she's going like, we got to have that. We got to do it again. We got a new thematic goal. Right. Yeah. Shows, yeah. Leadership. Show some leadership. Yep. Well, well, Pat, is there some place people can go to learn more about the book and your work? You know, um, yes. We have, a, we have a website called tablegroup.com. Table, like the kitchen table, tablegroup.com. And you can find it there. We have all of our corporate stuff there, but you can find the, the frantic family. And, and you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, I don't think there's a specific website for just this book, but the most important thing you can do is, is go to the website or just go to Amazon or someplace else, hopefully, and, and buy the book. And, and it's, it's crazy. It's, I think it's like $20 and there is, it's, it's a story, by the way, it's a fiction story. Every people listening should know that all of my business books, but one are short stories because I'm a screenwriter. So I write them like a little movie because that's a lot more interesting. So it's a story about a, a, a husband and wife who are really frantic and how they struggle with comparisons to other families and what they're supposed to do and how they put it together. And that really helps you understand what it's about. It's short. It's a good read. I think if I might say so. And then in the back, there's a, there's actually the structure for how to do it. This is probably the most useful book I've written. Fantastic. Well, Pat, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Hey, I love the art of manliness. I love your website. I, I'm, I'm shocked at how many things you have that I wasn't aware of. So to all those people listening, they're probably already big followers of yours, but what a great, what a great resource this is. I love it. It's going to become a go-to webpage for me. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Okay. God bless. My guest there is Patrick Lencioni. He's the author of the book, The Three Big Questions for Frantic Families. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can check out more about his work at tablegroup.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash franticfamilies, where you find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, you've got something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.